Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Invite those who are able to please stand for our first lesson. It comes from 2 Corinthians in the fifth chapter, picking up in verse 16. Listen now to the Word of God. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We, no longer, we know Him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation, and everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making His appeal through us, and we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. As we work together with Him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain, for He says, at an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped, to, helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. We see now is the day of salvation. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Those who are able are invited to stand for our second lesson. It comes to us from the book of the Acts of the Apostles. We continue our sermon series in Acts entitled louder than words, because actions do speak louder than words. We're in the 24th chapter today. As I said, Paul has appeared before the Sanhedrin. He is now in Caesarea, and he is appearing before the governor, the Roman governor, Felix. And we pick up with verse 22. But Felix, who was rather well informed about the way, adjourned the hearing with comment. When Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. And then he ordered the centurion to keep Paul in custody, but to let him have some liberty and not to prevent any of his friends from taking care of his needs. Some days later, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him speak concerning faith 
in Christ Jesus. And as he discussed justice, self-control, and the coming judgment, Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present. When I have an opportunity, I will send for you. Or as many other translations say, when it's a little more convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given by, by Paul, and for that reason, he used to send for him very often and converse with him. After two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And since he wanted to grant the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. How many of you are familiar with the little book that came out several years ago entitled, All I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten? You familiar with that book? It's about 20 years old, I imagine, but a good one. It was written by a man named Robert Fulgham. And this quote that I begin with is from Robert Fulgham. I wanted to put it in that perspective. The author of the book, All I Ever Needed to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten, says, One of life's best coping mechanisms is to know the difference between an inconvenience and a problem. If you break your neck, if you have nothing to eat, if your house is on fire, then you've got a problem. Everything else is an inconvenience. Life is inconvenient. Life is lumpy. A lump in the oatmeal, a lump in the throat, and a lump in the breast are not all the same kind of lump. One needs to learn the difference. To learn the difference between a problem and an inconvenience. I agree with Robert Fulgham. There is a difference between a problem and an inconvenience. And I also agree with Robert Fulgham that life is inconvenient can be lumpy, full of inconveniences, computers that crash, companies that won't let you talk to a human being when you need to ask a question and get an answer, a database malfunctions, your phone won't work, your cable TV goes out, the traffic snarls, the hose runs, that's the hose you put on your legs, or your blouse snags, or you spill something, the power goes out. There's a long line, and there are slow people, and life is inconvenient. There are so many things in life that can cramp my style. So many things that can change my plans and ruin my day. Can I get an amen? Life is full of inconveniences. And to be honest, life also has its problems. 
There's a difference between the two. I believe that we could learn the difference between problems and inconveniences if we all took a trip to a developing or third world country. How many of you have had the opportunity to do that? I did right out of college. Went to Kenya, Africa, where I taught in the bush country for a year. No running water, no electricity, no reliable transportation, not a whole lot of food, at least not on a regular basis, disease, hardship. You talk about giving, being given an opportunity to learn the difference between an inconvenience and a problem. Those type of experiences will open your eyes. I believe that everybody in America should go and travel in a developing or a third world country. And you know what? The fact of the matter is, we don't have to leave our borders to do that. Because there are people who live in some of those very same conditions as developing and third world people. Okay, that's the end of my sermon. No, but I do think it'd be a great idea to expose ourselves to something outside of our comfort zone, outside of the blessed lives that we live, the inconvenient lives that, that we have to cope with. When there's a long line or the lights go against us or our computer has problems. But what I want to say to you this morning is regardless of what it is that you are facing and dealing with in your life on a daily basis or beyond, whether it be inconveniences or whether there is a real problem, both of these are opportunities. Both inconveniences and problems in our lives are opportunities Opportunities to find ourselves in proper relationship with life and the gift of it and the giver of it. Or maybe a more reform way to say this is that the inconveniences, the annoyances, the problems, the challenges, the hardships in our lives are ways for us to be found by the God who pursues us like the hound of heaven. God wants us to know Him and uses all of the stuff of life, problems and inconveniences, to reveal God's self to us. If ever there was a life of legitimate inconveniences, if ever there was a life that was filled with problems, surprises, challenges, hardships, I think the case could be made it was the Apostle Paul's life. He was set in life. As a young man, he was a mover-shaker. He was an up-and-comer. He was a ladder-climber in, in the religious uh, structure educated in, by, by the best teachers and, and climbing in, into the ranks of the Sanhedrin among the Jewish people and doing what was ardent and true for the Jewish faith and persecuting those Christians who were against 
the temple. And that was true for Paul until he had a face-to-face encounter with the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. An inconvenient happenstance. And Paul's whole life was changed. And we've talked about this time and again as we followed the, the trajectory of the book of Acts. But we know that this challenge, this, this inconvenience, this little problem in Paul's life that changed his direction did not stop there, for it continued to unfold because Paul was even rejected or seen as an outsider and suspected by Peter and James and the other apostles. Who is this guy? Is he a turncoat? Is he a spy? Can we trust him? Hardships in Paul's life on his missionary journeys that we have charted so well. We have followed him in his ministry to share Jesus Christ, the risen one, and he has been beaten, he has been stoned, he has been jailed, he has been rejected, and he has been shipwrecked and will be. And Paul's life is one big inconvenient problem. And Paul could say, this is not what I signed up for. But it's no longer I who live now. It's Christ who lives in me. I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. A slave of Jesus, Paul calls himself. This is not about me, he continues to say. This is about Him. And there is nothing. Not nakedness, not peril, not sword, not disease, not anything, not even death that can separate us from this love, from His love. And we have followed Paul through this last half of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, through all of his inconveniences and his problems, which the Holy Spirit in every instance has turned into an opportunity. Do you hear me? It's all been turned into an opportunity to share the gospel, which for Paul hinges on one thing the one thing. Those of you who were here last week or who were turning, tuning in through our television ministry, what is the one thing that Paul's entire ministry hinges upon? Thank you. Preaching to the choir this morning. The resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Paul says, I know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I know the power of the resurrection. And Paul stands here in chapter 24 before Felix, the Roman governor, and he defends himself by saying, the only reason that I am on trial, the only reason that I, that I am standing here is because of what I said. Because of the resurrection of the dead. And Jesus Christ is the risen one. And so this is why Paul has been sent to Caesarea under heavy Roman guard because the Jews want to kill this man. There is a bounty on his head and there are those that have, have said we will not sleep, we will not eat until we have Paul dead. And so they send him with hundreds of soldiers. Read the chapter 
He's under heavy guard until he gets to Caesarea because they un unveiled this plot that Paul should be killed. But he arrives in Caesarea. He appears before Felix the judge. And Ananias comes with a slick-talking attorney type, Tertullus, to plead the case for the Sanhedrin before Felix the, the Roman governor. And they say he is a rabble-rouser. He, he, is, he is stirring up trouble. He's a danger to law and order and a danger to the throne. And Paul stands up and says in his defense, I worship the God and Father, believing everything laid down in the law and the prophets. And in essence, what Paul is saying here is I'm a, I'm a Jew. And, and, and I believe the law and the prophets. And I follow the law and the prophets. And what Paul is saying, what the author of the book of Acts is saying, that, that this way that, that Paul is on, that these people of the way, these Christians, are not a radical innovation, but they stand in line with the central affirmation of historic Judaism. Paul is claiming himself to be one of those who are accusing him. And it's Paul's claim that, and the ways claim that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that's what puts Paul at odds with his Jewish faith. And at odds with the high priest. And so Paul offers that in defense. And as Felix hears both sides of the argument, he calls for a recess in the hearing. And he says, I'm going to wait for, for Elysius to come the tribune that, that was involved in this disturbance from the very beginning. Let's wait until he gets here. Maybe he can shed some more light on it, and I'll render my judgment at that time. So Paul is placed under a house of rest with some kind and more gentle circumstances that Felix will allow his friends to come and go to see Paul. He has access to the outside world, and they can minister to his needs. And Felix, we are told in some curious way, as he's introduced into the storyline, has a, a, an uncanny knowledge of the Christian faith, the people of the way as they are described in this part of the book of Acts, the people who follow the way. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How does he have this accurate knowledge of the way? Well. The news of Jesus and His resurrection and the spread of Christianity was probably permeating this part of the world. And so there was some knowledge. If anybody picked up the paper occasionally, they would know about Jesus and the Christians. But I think in addition to that, it may have been even through Felix's wife, Drusilla. You don't hear many children naming their daughter Drusilla these days. But she was a Jew. And maybe it was through Drusilla that Felix found out more about Paul and the way and faith in Christ. And so for whatever reason it is, for his own amusement, because of his curiosity, for looking for financial gain, for looking for increased power and prestige, Felix is seeking something in his life, something more. And Felix brings his wife, Drusilla, to be with him as they ask to sit and speak with Paul about faith in Christ the text tells us. 
Now, what we need to know about Felix, Felix and Drusilla is that Drusilla, in her marriage to Felix, is her second marriage. Historians, and primarily William Barclay, tell us that she was the daughter of Herod Agrippa, and she was originally married to Azusus. That will be on the test. Who was also a kingly type. But Felix takes a fancy to Drusilla. Felix is also married, but he takes a fancy to Drusilla. And the story goes that by the help of a magician named Adamus, that will be on the test also, he is seduced. she is seduced. She is lured away from her husband. And she marries Felix. Felix is on about his third marriage, we understand, through the work of historians. He has risen in the ranks as a freedman, a Greek who earned his freedom and autonomy in, in, the, in the society and, and worked his way up to governor. But his life is marred with infidelity, with violence, with injustice, with greed, with grabbing for power, we know. He is not necessarily a real upright and good man. And he is not in good standing with the Jews because in suppressing an uprising between the Greeks and the Jews, Roman soldiers were sent in by Felix and many Jews were killed. So maybe Felix felt like he owed something to the Jews. And so he continues to hold Paul. But something holds Felix. Something draws Felix and Drusilla to Paul. Maybe there's some void or some emptiness in his life some dissatisfaction. And so he listens to Paul. He listens to Paul speak about faith in Christ, and Paul relays in his exposition of the faith three simple points. They're there in the text. Paul talks to Felix about righteousness, about right living, about justice, and about fairness. Paul talks with Felix about self-control, about our personal conduct and that what we do in our lives, private or public, matters. And Paul finally, in his third point, talks about judgment, that there is an accounting that we all must render. We will appear before the judge of the universe to make account for our lives. And upon hearing this truth from Paul, the text says that Felix was alarmed he became fearful from what he was hearing. Had Felix never been confronted in this way? Had Felix never heard these hard truths? But Felix responds to Paul and he says, why don't you just go away for a while? And, and I'll get back with you when it's more convenient. Because you're inconveniencing me. Paul has held a mirror of the gospel up to Felix, and Felix did not like what he sees there. Paul has inconvenienced Felix. He has moved from the political to the personal, and he has said it matters not only what you do on the floor of the Senate or what you do in the public arena, but it also matters what you do in your private life, even in your bedroom, Felix. Is there, is there no impudence to these Christians, we want to say? 
Mind your own business, Paul. We don't have time for these pesky interventions, these inconveniences. Yet Paul speaks even to the governor like he has spoken to the high priest, and he has presented Jesus Christ and the inconvenience that knowing Jesus can be. What Paul is saying to Felix is, Felix, it's not all about you. You're not in charge. It's not about all your wants, your needs, your desires, your likes. It's not about your convenience. But it's about a God who is the giver of life and the author of it. And here in this exchange between these two, Felix misses the opportunity and he views what is being shared with him as a problem, an inconvenience. Felix hears and considers it, but he pushes it away. Felix wants to know more about God, but he is not willing to know more of God. The offer of faith becomes an inconvenience. Many times it's inconvenient for us to consider faith in Jesus Christ and all of its ramifications. Many times we have a problem with it ourselves, a problem seeing ourselves for who we know ourselves to be, a problem removing ourselves from the center of being in control of our lives the way we like it, I, me, my, mine. And when we want to remain in that place in the center, it is inconvenient. Or, the Gospel says, we can take a look at life and the giver of it in Jesus Christ and the grace and the, the forgiveness and the salvation that is offered through Him. Yes, we look at the mirror of ourselves, but we see also the face of Jesus Christ is offered to us and we see Jesus Christ for who He is. You know, this past week somebody said to me in a conversation that I was having, they made this statement that, that struck me. They said, you know, the fact of the matter is Jesus loves everybody, but not everybody loves Jesus. Because to know Jesus means to put Him at the center and not ourselves. In the face of inconveniences and problems. And Paul's life was filled with inconveniences. Paul's life was filled with problems, yes. But every one of those, by the grace of God, became for him an opportunity to know Christ and to make Him known. And so I'll wrap it up this way this morning to say that my prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for our church is that our faith would continue to inconvenience us to the point that we are driven not away from, but to the living Lord and the life that He offers. Lord, fill our lives 
with opportunities to know you and to make you known. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.